We're going to open up God's Word again. Uh, we're back in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, and Alvin's going to uh, lead us in that reading this morning. So Nehemiah uh, 8, starting at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Melchizedek, Hashem, Hashbadath, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And as he opened it, as he opened it all, as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, "Amen, Amen," lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shebathai, Hadiah, Messiah. Kalita, Azariah, Josabed, Hanan, Peleliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the scene so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, 
and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the day of Joshua, son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Thanks, Alvin. Uh, it'd be really good to um, yeah, keep your Bible open there at Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, you'll notice that we've jumped over a few chapters where we were last Sunday. Last Sunday we were in Nehemiah chapter 5. Um, what's happened in the meantime? Well, the wall was finished uh, in Nehemiah chapter 6, which was incredible. Uh, we're going to come back to the issue of the wall um, a little bit later in the book when it's dedicated. Uh, there was more opposition and there was also uh, kind of like a census of families who had come back out of exile. Um, everybody had gone to their own towns uh, and now they come back together in Nehemiah chapter 8. And This is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, kids, young people, uh, there is a kids outline uh, that was on the welcome desk. If you don't have one, you can go and grab one. That might help you follow along. Uh, older people, there's a, uh, an outline there as well. Um, use it if it's helpful. At the bottom, there's a coffee question. Maybe it's a question we can ask one another. We have a cup of coffee afterwards, uh, just so we're thinking about, talking about uh, God's Word, encouraging each other um, from it as well. Before we get into it, let's pray together, shall we? Look, God, we thank you for uh, your Word to us, and we thank you for the book of Nehemiah. We thank you for the, the wonderful things that you've been teaching us, showing us uh, as we've been working our way through it. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that it's been. And Lord God, we pray and we, we ask humbly that you would do that again this morning, uh, that you would speak to us through your word and that you would give us understanding and attentiveness, uh, Lord God, that it would transform us and renew us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. There's no doubt about it that we have uh, many different types of reality TV uh, shows on today. All, all sorts of things have been turned into reality TV. Uh, but there's one genre of reality TV in particular that is extremely popular, and that is home renovation or home makeover shows. Uh, the other day I saw the ad for the new season of The Block, which is coming. Uh, this time they are taking a set of terraces in Melbourne, I think they're like 150 years old. And in this advertisement, they, they, they went through what these homes look like at the moment. And they're absolutely rotten. And there's holes in walls. There's bits of floor missing. There's ceiling which is coming down. There's, there's rubbish everywhere. It's like a bomb has gone off in these homes. But if you watch the show, you'll see that over the coming months, these homes will be absolutely transformed. That they'll almost be unrecognizable from what they are at the moment. They'll go from these dumps, which are probably still worth a lot of money, <laughs> to million-dollar homes for people to buy and to live in. As we read through God's Word, we, we begin to realize that in many ways... Our lives are renovation projects. Our lives, before we come to know Christ, 
are lives of great turmoil, rottenness, and brokenness. Before we come to know Jesus, our lives, which we looked at as Josh showed us this morning, are lives that are, that are full of rebellion and sin against God. And incredibly and graciously, he saves us from that. He, he saves us, not because we deserve it, far from it. He saves us out of grace and mercy. But that act of saving us doesn't finish the job in many ways. It doesn't finish us. We're still broken people. We've still got wrong priorities. We've still got wrong things that we love in our lives and habits that have formed over many years. But incredibly, God's work in us doesn't stop when he saves us. He is about a renovation project. He's about restoring broken lives. And this morning, we want to see how he does that. Now, last week we said, as we looked at chapter 5, that we were starting on the second major theme of this book. The first one is the building of the wall. And in chapter 6, that finished. As I said, we're going to come to that right at the end of that series. It's kind of timely that we kind of finish our renovations at the same time the wall's finished, but that wasn't intentional uh, at all. But we said that there was a second major theme to the book as well. It wasn't just a wall that needed rebuilding. There was a people that needed restoring. A broken people who needed to be restored back to God. And how does that happen? Well, here in this chapter, we have the answer. It's through the powerful working of God's word. It's God's work, word with the power to renew and transform his people to make them holy to continue his restoration work in their lives. Well, have a look with me at the start of the chapter and we'll see, we'll see how it begins there. Notice the people have gone back to their towns after the, te- the wall had been finished and now all of a sudden they are brought back here and it's the first day of the seventh month. Look what it says in in, in verse 1 there. It says, And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the the Lord had commanded Israel. Now, we've got to ask the question, what, what does it mean there by the law of Moses or the book of the law of Moses? Uh, And in other places here it's referred to as the law or the book of the law. What's it talking about here? Well, immediately because it says the word law, we might think it's talking about the Ten Commandments and other laws. And most certainly what they read that day contained those things. But what Israel was reading from that day was actually the first five books of the Bible. That's the word of God as the people of Israel had it. They were reading not just about commandments, but about creation and sin. They're reading about God's choosing of Abraham, their forefather, to be the one through whom he would restore the whole world. They're reading about slavery in Egypt and God's incredible, powerful, gracious rescue out of Egypt and then into the promised land. They were reading about the way in which God had instructed them 
to live as his people in relationship with him. They're reading about the covenant. That's a special relationship between God and his people that he says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And how they responded and said, yes, you are our God and we will be your people. They were reading God's word to them. Now, notice what happens when they read it. Verse 2, it tells us that there were men and women there and all who could understand. So there were children and young people there as well. It wasn't just for the adults. Anybody who could understand what was being read was a part of this. And verse 3, look, look at what they do. They read it from early morning until midday. This is like five or six hours of Bible reading. And a little later on, they were standing the entire time. Now, I think there's a great application uh, in here uh, somewhere uh, for long set. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But it, like, I feel guilty sometimes for like 30 plus minutes. I feel like I've stretched the friendship. They stood there for five or six hours, no phones to distract them, uh, no fiddling. Come on, Ezra, come on, I've got a chicken on, I need, need to get home. They listened, and it says that they listened attentively in verse 3. But not only was there the reading of the law, if you, well, in my Bible, if you turn the page in verse 8, uh, sorry, verses 7 and 8, they weren't just reading, but they were explaining it. I, I don't know if you noticed we, as we read through this, but I think it's like six or seven times that the word understood or understand is mentioned in this chapter. And so the Levites, there's a number of them mentioned there, and, and um, Alvin got all the names absolutely correctly, which was, which was wonderful. Um, they were moving in and out of the people, and they were explaining what was being read to them. So this, this was really important. It wasn't just they had to hear God's word, but they needed to understand it. Well, that, later that day, they, they, they all go home and they have a feast, which we'll, we'll have a look at in a moment. But day two comes around. This is like eight days worth of stuff we have in this chapter. Day two comes around. What, what happens? Well, the heads of the families come back together. And they sit with the priests and the Levites. And Ezra described on verse 13. And what do they do? They study the words of the law. So day one, Bible reading, sermon. Day two, growth group or something like that. They have a Bible study. They get down and they think about what is God's word saying to them. And out of that, they're going to learn something. So they go and have another feast. This one goes for seven days in total. We'll look at that in a minute. But look at what it says there in verse 18. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. You have eight days here of continual reading, studying, and understanding the word of God. Now, in a sense, 8, 9, and 10, chapters 8, 9, and 10 here are like a big section in the book of Nehemiah. And this is leading up to the point where they will renew the covenant with God. So that's they will renew their relationship with God. That God is their God and that they are his people. 
But how does that come about? What is it that brings about this desire for recommitment to God? A change in their attitude, a change in their heart. Well, it's God working incredibly powerfully in them through his word. You see, where does, where does the impetus come from for God's people to change? You ever, you ever try to change yourself? You ever try to change a habit that's been formed for many years? You ever try to set up a good, healthy habit? It's almost impossible, isn't it? In fact, we can't change ourselves. We can't change our hearts. We can't change our attitudes. But amazingly, God does it. And how does he do it? He does it through his word. We see the same thing in the the New Testament as well. Let me read you a, a couple of sections there. The first one is from the book of 1 Peter. It tells us that since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all the flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. How do we come to faith in the first place? How is it that our lives come from death to life? It's through the living, abiding, enduring word of God. Here's another verse that comes out of the book of Acts, and it's, it's Paul talking to the elders in the Ephesian church. And look at what he says to them. He, he tells them what they've got to do as elders, as leaders, guard the church. And then he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. How is it that we are built up in our faith? How is it that we, that we are straining training towards the inheritance that we have it's God and the word of his grace which builds us up and encourages us now let let me speak just for a moment to people here who say look I'm I'm not I'm not a I'm not a Christian yet just let me let me talk to you for a moment everybody else you can um, check your phone no you can't check your phone Um, do do whatever Uh, you might wonder uh, why it is that in church, we spend so much time on Bible stuff. You know, we read it at the start, and then Josh read it again, and then Alvin read it, and now I'm talking about it even again. We sung Bible stuff as we were singing as well. Why is it that we talk about you know, going, to, going to a growth group and studying the Bible and reading the Bible at home? Well, as Christians... We believe that the God who created us is the God who speaks to us. He he actually communicates with us. And he's done so and he's doing so through his word, the Bible. We believe that this this book, this is not just any other book, not just the bestseller. But we believe that this is God's word to the world, and to us. We believe a lot of things about it, but a couple in particular that are worth noting. One, we believe that we we call this word inerrant. That means we we believe that it is without mistake. 
It's absolutely everything that God wanted to be said is here in his word. And there's no mistakes in it. It, It's all of it is God's word. We believe something else about it. We believe that it's, it's sufficient. We believe that everything that God wants us to know about him and his work and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, everything we need to know is contained in this word. We don't need extra stuff or on top of stuff. All of it is here in his word. And we believe that it's powerful. That God through his word has the power to change our hearts and to change our lives. And one of the values that we have as a church, when we came up with the things that we hold really dear to us last year, one of the, one of the values we have is that we, we said we really value as, as a reformed church, as a contemporary church, to know and to teach the Bible. We, we want to know this word of God. We want to read it and study it and understand it and teach it to one another. Why is that? Because we believe it's the way that God renews us and transforms us. That His Holy Spirit is at work through the Word, changing us into the likeness of Christ. And so can can I ask all of us then, if that's what we believe, is that what we practice? If we believe that God speaks authoritatively, powerfully, and clearly in his word, is that what we practice? You see, in many ways, it would be foolish, foolish, to desire God's work in our lives and yet ignore the Bible. It would be crazy. I was talking to somebody the other day who was, who was telling me they, they're going to the gym and uh, uh, they're trying to bulk up at the moment. And they're really proud of kind of the weight and the muscle uh, that they put on, but they, they wanted to put on even more. They, they, really, they really want to get a little bit more, more buff. But they've decided that exercise is not enough. They've decided they really need to look at their diet. They need to kind of be feeding on the right stuff in order to grow muscle and bulk and and to get stronger. And you and I, we all know that, don't we? That what we put into our bodies is going to shape the way that we look. Same is true for us as followers of Jesus. What we feed on, what we fill our minds with and our hearts with, is going to shape our spiritual physique. Is it the powerful, abiding, living Word of God? Do we endure sermons? Or do we listen to hear what God is saying to us? Look, I know I am not the world's greatest preacher. I get it. But I'm not the worst either. Not, not, not trying to be humble, but you know, not, not the worst preacher ever. But in a sense, it, it doesn't really matter. Because we believe that it's God who is speaking to us. He's using a, a fallible, broken, you know, imperfect person to do so. 
but he gives this powerful word through broken, fallible people to us. Are we making it a priority in our own lives to spend time in his word? Time trying to understand it, understand what what he's saying to us. Listening to God as he works and shapes and renews and transforms us. Young people here, you have incredible privilege, incredible opportunity to come to church on a Sunday, to hear God's word, to to study it in in branch youth and kids club, to study it at home, maybe at school, and, and even for yourself. And right now, when you're young, we set patterns that go with us into life. Why don't we set the best pattern ever? That God is at work in us and transforming us and shaping us through his word. Incredible privilege. Make the most of it. Listen, hear what God is saying to us. If you need help, this is for all of us. You know, if you need help concentrating and focusing and studying, get it. You know, that's why, why groups, growth groups, Bible study groups can be so wonderful, can't they? Because we kind of sit around and we, we share and we talk about it together and we encourage each other through that word and we understand more of it as, as we study it together. If it helps to take notes on a Sunday, take notes on a Sunday. You know, I won't think that you're writing a shopping list. I'll, you know, I'll believe that you're writing notes. You might be writing a shopping list and I'll think you're taking notes. But, you know, write stuff down. If you need to listen to it again the next day, it's on podcast. It's out like about 12.30 on a Sunday. If you need a devotion guide to, to help at home, do it. That's going to help explain and encourage you to think about it. Do it. Do whatever it takes to hear, to listen, to understand what God is saying to us. Because God's word is powerful. It transforms communities, churches, relationships, and our lives. I want to just finish up. Well, I'm probably not that finished, but anyway. uh, I'll pretend that I'm finishing up. Uh, I want to look at, uh, we'll go for three. Uh, Three ways uh, in which God's word is powerfully at work in changing us. What it does in our lives. We've kind of looked at one already which is not one of the three, Uh, it gives us understanding. It helps us understand who God is and what he's done for us and how we live. It, it, It changes our minds. But three more things. Firstly, it leads us to worship. God's word leads us to worship him. Have a look, if you will, at what happens down in verses 5 and 6. Uh, in chapter 8 here. So Ezra opens the book. Uh, they build a pulpit, by the way. It's like the first ever recorded pulpit. Uh, they listen. Listen to what it says, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What happens when they read, read this word of God to them? They respond in worship. 
in adoration. Can you imagine? They've just read about creation. God speaking and the whole universe comes into place. They look at everything around them and they understand one great, almighty, powerful God has done that and he's done that by speaking. And they read about the way in which God rescued them. And he rescued them out of Egypt. And he rescued them from a nation who was so much more powerful than they were. And he brought them through the Red Sea and he brought them through the desert. And he provided for them all the way. You see, the Bible is not firstly a book about us. It's the Word of God about the character, the power, the love, the splendor of God. And one of the things that it does to us over and over again is it leads us to worship Him. Because it lifts our eyes, and it lifts our eyes above where we're at and what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. And it puts our eyes on the creator of heaven and earth who has all splendor and power and who loves and who rescues his people. If you find it hard to worship God, it could be because we don't spend time in his word. That we haven't had our eyes lifted to his goodness and his splendor and his greatness. That we haven't had our hearts lifted out of all of our circumstances to know that he is God and he is worthy of our worship. The second thing that God's word does is that it grieves us, which leads us to repentance. It grieves us and it leads us to repentance. I don't know if you notice as we're going through, uh, but in verse 9, they're reading the word of the Lord and the people wept as they heard the words of God. I wonder what they were reading that caused them to weep. Maybe, maybe they read the law of God and what they were called to be as his people. Maybe they read the blessings and the covenants, the blessing and the curses which come in the covenant, the relationship. And they realized why they had gone off into exile in the first place. Because they had broken the covenant and God was bringing the curses of the covenant upon them. They wept. And they thought about their own sin and their own rebellion. But it's quite interesting, isn't it, there, that when that happens, Nehemiah and Ezra and all the Levites tell them to stop. 
this is, this is weird, isn't it? Like, God's word is hurting you. Stop it. Stop. Stop now. Now, we're going to have a look at, at why in a moment because it's, it's actually really important. Well, actually, we'll look at it now. He tells them to stop because he wants them to be obedient to his word. And they realize that in reading it, that this was actually a feast day, the first day of the seventh month. This was actually a feast day, a day for celebrating and for having a party and for sharing food and having good food and having wine. And so he says, don't weep over your sin because this is a day that God has commanded to be holy, set aside, special. You see, it's kind of one thing to kind of grieve and repent, but repentance is to lead to obedience. And that's where he goes. He goes, be obedient to God here. But in chapter 9, they pick up on it. And it's like 24 days later, they get together and they weep and they mourn and they confess their sins and they turn back to God. We don't always like being challenged. In fact, maybe we never like being challenged. We don't like it when there is a mirror held up to our lives. But yet, that's what God's Word does to us. There are times where it causes us to grieve over the state of our heart, over the state of our lives, of our sinfulness and our rebellion, it does so to lead us to repentance. To confess our sin before God and to turn to Him in obedience and in faith. And that's really the third thing that I want to notice here, that God's Word does. Out of grief and out of repentance, God's word leads us to joyful obedience. Joyful obedience. There's a great theme that comes through in here, isn't there? That as they read, they discover things that God has commanded them to do as a people. The first one happens on that first day. They, they realize that this is uh, the Feast of Trumpets or the Day of Trumpets. And so they, they're a party. They, they have a festival. And they go away and they do that. And they do that with incredibly great joy. Verse 12, And all the people went on their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing because they had understood the word that God had declared, the word that had been declared to them. They had great joy in being obedient to God because they understood that God loved them and had saved them and had rescued them. The same thing happens the next day. They read again, they study, and they go, hang on. This, that wasn't just one feast day. This is a whole week of celebration. This is the, 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 the Feast of Booths where they set up tents on their roof of the house or in the courtyard or in the temple courtyard. And they like camped out together for a whole entire week. And all that time, they celebrated and they remembered that God had rescued them. That he'd brought them out of Egypt. That he led them through the desert. And it brought them to the promised land. They were filled with joyful obedience. 
because God's word had worked powerfully in their lives and in their hearts. Too often, we try to do obedience without God's word. We go, okay, well, I know that God's word tells me to do this, and now I've I've got to go and do that. And we miss a step. We miss that it's not just God's word that tells us what to do. It actually enables us, equips us, changes us so that we go for joyful obedience. God transforms our hearts, directs them so that we want to obey him and live for him. If you go for obedience without the word, you're in for a hard slog. You're in for an impossibly hard slog. Because God's word is the power to transform and to change us, to renew us. Because all along, God's word is drawing us deeper and deeper into relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just that this word, this book, this word works magically or mystically. Every place we go, every page we turn, speaks of our Savior Jesus and his love and his power and his sacrifice. And it draws us deeper and deeper into relationship with him. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to be transformed and renewed, there's one way that God has enabled it to happen. It's through the powerful working of his word under the ministry of the Holy Spirit, changing our hearts, changing our attitudes, leading us to worship to repentance, and a joyful obedience. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you that you have so wonderfully and so graciously spoken to us through your word. And we thank you, Lord God, that you continue to speak to us today. We thank you, Lord, that you tell us of your power, your splendor, your love and your mercy. And we thank you, Father, that as you do that, you, you change our lives. You renew us. You transform us. Lord God, we pray that increasingly you would make us a church and people who listen to you, who love your word, who study your word, who experience your grace and your mercy in our lives through it. Lord God, we pray Change us through it for the sake of Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.